Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 174. Today, we are talking about auto by authors. Before we get started with our episode, we just want to remind you that we do have a newsletter that comes out twice a month. You can sign up at unabridgedpod.com. So once a month, it is looking forward to actually the month ahead. So you get a sneak peek at the episodes we have coming up at book club and buddy read picks, just talking about some other bookish things that are on our mind. And then mid month, you can get some great recommendations from us and get to know us a little bit better. That one also has a look back in case there are some things that you may have missed. So both of those are a lot of fun. We enjoy putting those together and just sharing a little bit of extra bookish content. So again, you can go to unabridgedpod.com to sign up for that newsletter. We're going to get started with our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading? So one of the books I'm reading this week is Sumi Han's The Mermaid from Jeju. I'm listening to it thanks to Libro FM. When I saw it come out as one of the ALCs, I was so excited because I absolutely loved Lisa C's The Island of Sea Women. And that is set in Jeju as well in Korea and covered the female divers there. And so I was totally fascinated by that book. That's been one of my most favorite historical fiction novels that I've read in recent years. And so when I saw this one and saw that it was the same place and thought that the mermaid part referenced the female divers, I was excited to I was excited to dive in. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> And so I'd been wanting to get to it because, again, I just am fascinated by that culture and wanted to learn more about it. And so this story focuses on Junja, who is a young, in the beginning, she's a young female diver and she comes from a family of them. And it's set in the 1940s, right at the opening of the book, there is a quick historical note that gives you some background information about what exactly was happening in the 1940s during that time. And there were atrocities related to the war that took place. And Jeju was at the center of that. So again, I didn't know much about that at all before I read The Island of Sea Women. But that also covered a a huge span of time. But it did show that part in the war and the ring of fire and the scorched earth methods that were used at the time. So there's a note at the beginning to kind of anchor the reader in some of that historical context. And then you see the present day with Junja and her family, her daughters and her husband. And it is her, the moment of her death, basically. And then you're moving back to her as a child. You focus on the backstory of her and her family, for a lot of the book in the 1940s, and you're seeing her experience the ways that the island is changing as American occupation takes place. So they had been under Japanese occupation for a long period of time. And then in the 1940s, during the war, after the bombings, the Americans came in and 
people were hopeful that that was going to bring about positive change. But in a lot of ways, they went from a Japanese occupation that was really awful for the citizens there to having Western soldiers who also committed a lot of heinous acts as well. And so there's a lot of turmoil. And these are very, very small, very rural villages that were impacted by this. And so it's just the story of her and her family. And at the opening scene of her in her youth, she's wanting to go on a journey to take the abalone that the Hanyao, the female divers, had gotten. She wants to take it up and sell it to the mountain farmer who has a pig, and then she's going to bring the pig back in exchange. And her mom was planning to go, but she really wanted to make the journey. It would have been her first time going alone. She'd never left the village before, so she's looking to make this trip as a young person. And her mom, because of some other obligations in the village, agrees to let her go. And so a lot of the story is just seeing her go on this journey and meeting the family who are the pig farmers. So Sewell is the son of the pig farmer, and he is immediately entranced by her. He's never seen a woman, a young woman who is so strong. She had made this very arduous journey, and she also was carrying a tremendous amount of weight. And when he offered to take the pack for her, he discovered just how heavy everything was that she had carried. And so I just love all of that exchange between them and seeing the innocence of them getting to know each other and that story. But then shortly after that, she makes her journey back. And early on, she experiences a tragedy that she doesn't realize at first is related to the war. And so then things evolve from there. And so I think what I love about it is, again, I think the culture of the female divers in Jeju is so fascinating. And I loved that part. But I also love the way that Han is exploring the impact of war on individual lives and the way that people in rural areas are impacted by things that are 100% outside of anything they have control over. And yet it has a profound and tragic effect on their lives. And so I think all of that is done really masterfully. I'm really enjoying it. I'm almost finished and very curious to see how things wrap up. But another thing that I love about it is the way that she looks at the choices that you have and don't have during wartime. I think there's a lot of exploration of how no one can make a good choice in war and And that even people who know that what is happening is wrong are very limited in their individual ability to do anything about it. And I think that part's really powerful. And then there's a really fascinating character. Her grandmother is a fascinating character in the story. And also there is a lieutenant who you can see is not what he originally seems. He's not in support of what he seems to be. And so you're kind of learning how people navigate the best choices they can make to help keep people safe and how they have to kind of put on a pretend face sometimes to make those things happen. There's a lot of exploration of that, which I thought was really rich. And it's also about coming to peace with the things that happened. I think a lot of the story too is looking, like I said, it opens with her family when she is an old woman and her husband, you know, so they've lived their life. They left the island, they lived their life. And then it's that looking back on how do you come to terms with the things that came to pass 
during a war time, especially if you've left that area? How do you reconcile all of that? So I love it. So again, it's Sumi Hans, the mermaid from Jeju, and I was interested to read it and have thought it's been really great. And Jen, you read this one. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I have not yet read The Island of Sea Women, though it's been on my list since Ashley was raving about it. So I want to get to that one next. But yeah, I thought it was it was excellent. And I've talked sometimes about my fatigue in reading about World War II, but it was a perspective that I hadn't read before. I, so I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I thought the audio was great. So, All right, Sarah, what are you reading? I am almost finished with... Alex E. Harrow's The 10,000 Doors of January. This is a fantasy book. It starts out with a young girl. She's around seven. Her name's January. And she's basically a ward of this very wealthy white man who is a collector of archaeological mysteries. And he, he is into collecting things. And January's father is uh, basically a scout for him. So he goes out to look for these anomalies and January stays with the man, Mr. Luck. It is a, it's a really hard story to sum up because there's a, a lot happening. But I mean, to me, it's really a story of journey, this journey that January takes, uh, looking for things and finding them and losing them again. And just, if you don't like fantasy, you're not going to enjoy it. But if you like fantasy, if you are a fantasy lover, I think it is, it is so well written. It is, it's really, again, hard to talk about without giving something that spoils because there are all these, it's pretty long and it has a lot going on. So I don't want to spoil anything, but I think what really stands out to me the most is the love between January and her father and the people that she meets along the way that are so interesting and the way that Harrow builds these alternate worlds. It's just really, really complex it's beautiful. The writing is so, so magnificent and I really am enjoying it. And I, I'm listening to it and the narrator is fantastic. It is part of my, one of the reading challenge that I'm doing this year for Beyond the Bookends. One of my challenges for the year is to read a book that's won an Audie Award. And so you obviously can listen or read. And so I decided if it won an award, I should listen to it. And the narrator is fantastic. So it is a great fantasy book. It's full of twists and turns and really interesting things. So if you are into that, I think that you will love it. I love that book so that much. Oh my goodness. I don't, That's right. I definitely do you, want to read that one, Sarah. <laughs> it's it's on very hard to talk about it without yeah. giving spoilers because there's a lot of things that happen along the journey that build. Yeah, it's such an intricate plot and yet mm -hmm. also so much about the character. It's one of those that balances character and plot so well, I think. Yeah. Actually, yes. you would love it. Yeah. It's really good. I'm really, I've been reading some more fantasy, magical realism books lately, and it has been a long time since I've done that, and I am just enjoying them so much. So, Jen, what are you reading? I am reading Christina Hammond's Reads The Black Kids, and Oh my goodness, this has been such an interesting reading experience. So it is set in the spring of 1992 after the Rodney King trial. And it I was a sophomore in high school at that time. And so it's been one of those strange experiences when you read 
historical fiction about something that you lived through. And yet I was aware of it on the vaguest level, but did not have a great understanding of everything that was happening. So I just need to say that the fact that we're talking about 1992 as historical fiction has devastated me. (laughs) And I am now going to be able to do this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I am sorry to traumatize you, my dear friend. (laughs) It is. It's a really strange, it is a strange experience. So, so it's about a girl named Ashley Bennett who lives in Los Angeles. She is black. But she is also removed from what is happening. She and her family live in a very wealthy part of the city. And she goes to a private school with very few students of color. And so while she is aware of it, because she has some connections who are very much impacted by the protests and the riots that happen. Her uncle runs a store and lives beside the store that was begun by her grandmother, And so her uncle is very impacted by it. Her cousin is impacted by it, but she has some distance because her parents have decided to remove themselves from that part of the city. So physically, they are outside of the city. They are in a part of the city that is not impacted by the protests and the riots. At school, nobody's really talking about it at any length. So yeah, just seeing Ashley's perspective and her view of what's happening is really interesting. It also has a lot to do. So she's a senior. She is getting ready to go into the world. She is looking at her older sister, whose name is Josephine. She's named after Josephine Baker, but everybody calls her Joe. Joe went to college, was very successful in high school and basically just decided that college was not for her. So she dropped out and she got married to someone that her family has never met and told them after she was married that she had gotten married. So Ashley is now facing all of this pressure to be the good sister who follows through on her family's plans, who goes to college. She has impeccable grades. She's super successful at her school. And she is feeling that pressure just every day. She is also friends with a group of girls who are all white. So she is constantly walking around the neighborhood with this group of white girls. And right at the very beginning of the book, they're home from school. They skip school one day and they decide to go swimming at the neighbor's house when the neighbor is not there. And someone calls the police And you see right then Ashley's awareness of the fact that her race makes her treated differently by the police and that her parents have given her instructions of how to behave that her friends have just no awareness of. So from page one, you are very aware of racism and of politics. And there are so many threads running through this book that are just absolutely brilliant. I think Ashley is a super vivid character. She makes some major missteps with her friends, with her family. She makes some big mistakes, but she is a character who grows a great deal through the book. So it's amazing. And again, it's really, really good. So that is Christina Hammonds reads The Black Kids. I really think that sounds great. Yeah, I've been wanting to read that one too. 
The cover is awesome. Isn't it amazing? It's so compa- yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. I love I it. I really, I think you both would enjoy it so much. There are subplots that I did not even delve into, and yet it never felt, it, it's very well balanced. It never felt like there was one subplot too many or one character too many. It's beautifully written. I marked so many quotations while I was reading it. So I have, I'm reading this one for a buddy read, and I'm really looking forward to our discussion because I just think... Yeah, there's so much to dig into. We could talk about it for days. All right. Well, we are going to transition now to our main discussion. So as you all probably know, this year we are sponsoring the Unabridged Podcast Reading Challenge. And one of our categories is auto buy authors. This may or may not have been inspired by my own penchant for having auto buy authors. I'll give you one guess as to whose list of auto buy authors is the longest on the document for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So we just thought this would be fun. Hopefully these are authors who you will be reading anyway, and now you get credit for it for the challenge. So if you haven't signed up, you can sign up at unabridgedpod.com slash reading challenge 2021. All right. Well, we thought rather than just listing individual books, we would, I think we each define auto buy author a little bit differently. Some of us buy more books than others or have more auto buy authors than others. So yeah, we just wanted to make this kind of a loose conversation where we can talk about some authors whose books we will always buy and why we really like them. Uh, Sarah, do you want to start? Sure. So I actually, unlike Jen, I don't really have a ton of autobuy authors. I tend to buy books or like get books if it's from the library or wherever, based on what I've heard from people who I trust who read like Jen and Ashley or my mom and my sister, or if I hear someone talk about something on TV or on a podcast Oftentimes, that's how I pick books, more about the content and the story rather than the author. I do have a couple or a few, I should say, that I do usually auto buy. And one of those, I just read two of her books almost in a row, is Taylor Jenkins' Read. Because I first was exposed to her writing with The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I love that book. It was so unexpected. I Jen let me borrow her copy, actually. I read her copy. And... It's one of the books I gift the most because I just think it it's so unexpected. And that's what I find with her writing. She writes complex characters and stories that you think you know how you feel about that thing. But she writes about people who have flaws, but that you still are rooting for and have stories that are really complex that you still feel satisfied at the end. You don't feel like anyone lost out. And I just really like that. And her her books are so fast moving. So she's an autobi author. She has author for me. She has a book coming out in June. I have already pre-ordered it, which is unusual. I actually did not even know you got a pre-order discount until <gasps> Jen told me. So I have been trying to take advantage of that. And so... I think she is definitely one that I will read anything she writes. I've read two of her backlist books. I think I've actually even talked about them on prior bookish check-ins. I just finished another one of hers after I do. And I talked about a couple episodes ago that the premise is similar to a book I've read that I did not enjoy as much, but her book, the way that she evolved the story about these people who decided to take a year off their marriage 
then the way she concluded it, I felt totally satisfied. And even though it's not my favorite subject of a story. So she's one I will always, uh, I trust her and I will always buy her books. Yeah, she is so good. She's a good one to have. I I have not pre-ordered Malibu Rising yet. So this is an interesting time for me to be talking about auto buy authors because I'm trying to cut back on my book buying. (laughs) So maybe we should have called it like auto read authors or something. But yeah, so maybe maybe I can borrow that from you. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Because, you know, and I'm a slow reader, but also for me, her books move so fast. I read them in a day or two. I mean, she has a lot of dialogue in her books and I just read them fast, which is also sometimes a challenge for me to get through books quickly. And I like that too. Yeah. I love her work too. I plan to read it all the backlist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to go back to And sometimes they have great deals. I feel like I've seen good deals on several of hers. So that's always tempting. Yes. I love how she always well, plays also with timelines. She, ha- mm-hmm. she has a lot of times that she plays with different mechanisms to propel the story forward. Like Daisy Jones, of course, that was very, that was very different. But then Mm -hmm. I think she a lot of times plays with timelines and the way in which she tells a story, which I think is really compelling. I just love her. So yeah, I, I will always either auto buy or auto read as Jen said, her books. (laughs) Sarah, are there any other auto buy authors that you want to shout out? Sure. I will always shout out my auto buy authors, (laughs) especially since it's not like Santa's Christmas list like yours. (laughs) season I love that you you read more than I do too so like so you can get through books faster than me I think I would have more autobi authors if I could get through books more quickly and I think I probably I read a lot but I just I'm go slow I'm a slow mover the other two are Jason Reynolds and John Green and mm-hmm. I think it is well documented on our podcast how much unabridged loves both of these authors we've we talked about them a lot. So I'm not going to talk in super detail about why I love these authors, but I think because I love kids and I love teaching and I love teaching English, when I see Jason Reynolds' work and I see John Green's work, they are always stay so they always stay so authentic to teenagers in the way in which they write teenagers that I will always love both of them as writers and I will always read anything they write because they always write with an authentic voice and they, and they have a, an amazing ability to tell really meaningful stories that, that are important to teenagers. So I love them both very much. Cosign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Ashley, who are some of your autobi authors? Yeah, so I am on the opposite end of the spectrum for from Jen in in this category in the sense that I really don't have any that I will absolutely buy every time. And I think we have kind of hashed that out about the challenge because I think that is, you know, there are a lot of ways to support authors. And I think for me, for one thing, I have moved a lot. And the number one thing that we move is our books. And so because of that, and my husband is a professor, and I mean, in the space where I'm recording right now, I could easily count probably 60 something books that are piled on a table. They're not on our bookshelves, which we also have a lot of in our house. (laughs) And in his office, he has like wall to wall shelves full of books. 
So we have a book problem and it's one that I am very aware of. So I definitely have moved more toward eBooks, which was a big adjustment for me when I first started reading. I very much prefer, like when I first started reading on a e-reader, I very much preferred the paper book, but I am finding just in the last year that I am gravitating more toward the e-reader than in the past. For one thing, I really enjoy reading on that before bed and I've gotten to where I do prefer that method to reading a print book before bed because I like that it's really contained and I don't have to leave on a reading light. And so I have found I do prefer that. I have the Kindle Paperwhite, which for me was a big difference with the e-reader. Prior to that, I had bad luck because it bothered my eyes to read on one. And so that was that helped me have more success. And so that makes a difference. So I could pre-order the ebook for sure. But I just kind of wanted to say that I think there are a lot of ways to affirm what's going on with authors. Things that I've learned since we've been doing the podcast are that just marking a book want to read on Goodreads is a big help for authors. So if you know something's coming out and you go on there and mark ahead of time that you want to read it, that helps to encourage the sales of the book. And also just shouting out that they're coming up, keeping up with the pub days, knowing when those are coming out. Those are all ways to support and celebrate authors. And so I think all of that is a way that you can have auto, like like we've said in the episode, like auto read authors that you don't necessarily buy every single book every single time, but you are keeping up with what's going on in their writing life mm-hmm. and yeah. what's coming out. So yeah, I think I do buy more like the pre-order stuff same as Sarah I did not know about the benefits of doing the pre-order both for myself and also for the author and so I'm more likely to do it than I was in the past but I still feel like so Angie Thomas is one that is definitely an auto read author for me but for example I have not yet bought Concrete Rose and I probably will but I, and I'll definitely will read it, but that's just an example of where I was so excited for that one to come out. I'm still really looking forward to reading it, but like Sarah, I do have a long list to get through and I'm not a super fast reader. So even though it came out in January and I was so excited and celebrated that publication date, I haven't read it yet. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, you know, that's okay. I think that for us as readers, there's just a lot of ways to be and that it's fine for us to have different ways that they, that we fill this category and also that we keep up with what's going on with the authors we love. For me also, it makes a difference how long the writer's list is. So Angie Thomas is a great one because I've already read two of her three that she has so far. And so it's easier for me when I think about an auto by author, I think of that as a person who I've read their whole collection. Mm -hmm. And if they have a lot of books, like Marie Lou is another one that I I absolutely love her work, but she is very prolific. And I have Mm -hmm. not read every single book that she's written, even though I've read probably six books by her. So just thinking about that makes a difference for me too. That same with ones that I'm going to purchase automatically. Like if somebody doesn't publish as frequently, I might be more more likely to pre-order those. Whereas if it's somebody who I love, but they publish books all the time, I'm probably not going to pre-order those as frequently. So, so yeah, I think as far as people that I am definitely going to read as soon as their work comes out or shortly after, Angie Thomas is a big one for me. Like Sarah said, Taylor Jenkins Reid is one for me, but I'm working on her backlist. She's at one where I have discovered her recently. I love her work, but I would, I am not yet through a lot of those. 
And same with Jen, I see that you have Frederick Bachman. So I'm sorry to bring that up, but he's another that I absolutely love. And I plan to read his whole collection. I've read probably four of them so far, but I still have several of the backlist to read. And those that is one of my goals is to read the authors I absolutely love to go back through those mm -hmm. backlists of their work and, and read all of the old work. So I'd say that all four of those are people I definitely would. And then I have been raving about Nicola Yoon's upcoming book, Instructions for Dancing, which is coming out in June. She's another that I have read the books that she has easier to do because this is only her third one. So I've already read the first two and I'm reading that one now. And I plan to read everything she writes. And then one more I had that I listed here who only has one book so far, but the book I really absolutely loved is Emily XR Pan. She wrote The Astonishing Color of After, and I thought it was phenomenal. And I think we got to see her speak, and I thought she was really fascinating. And so she's one where I will be looking to see what comes out and when and keeping up with what she's doing as a writer. So she's another that I would say I haven't obviously read a lot from her yet, but I'm excited to see what she writes. Yeah, those are all such great tips for ways to highlight authors who have books coming up and to, to just help them because it's amazing what a difference that kind of anticipation makes for the way publishers promote books and the attention that those books get when they come out. So I think that's a great thing to think about. Well, I've been marking authors off my list as Sarah and Ashley have been <laughs> naming them. So it is sm a smaller list than it was at the beginning, but I was looking at it and just thinking, why are these auto buy authors? And so some of it's because I spent a great deal of money on books, but I realized it, I'm now back in the classroom. I was out for a while, but earlier when I was at my previous high school, I would buy books if I could put them on my shelves for my students. So I would buy eBooks for me but I would buy the paper copies for my students so they could check them out from my classroom library. And that was really important to me. So I was dumping a lot of money into wanting to have a really good classroom library. And to be fair, I did that too and felt very good about it. So yeah. I, and I, it does feel good. It's totally different when you're yeah. sharing that paper copy with a lot of hands and mm -hmm. seeing the excitement of that. So I felt great about that. And then it was, I am not currently where I can share a classroom library. So that's where I started having to figure out how I could pare things down. Yes. Same here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a little daunting. A large part of my basement was taken up by my classroom library books while I was not in the classroom. So my husband was very, very happy that I went back for a multitude of reasons. But well, and then I think I am a little bit compulsive and I am a completionist. And so when I have most of the books in a series, I am going to keep buying them until the series is over. So for someone like Cassandra Clare, who has a lot of series and a lot of books in those series, and they're all beautifully interconnected and so satisfying. At my old high school, students would come to me to check those books out because they knew I had the whole thing. Now that means that I'm now missing like number three in, so, you know, the, the random off book that the kid didn't return. The incomplete series. Yes. So which painful. hurts my heart. It hurts my uh -huh. heart. But yeah, so I have some of those that I, I love a series. It, when I, I started loving series books when I was a kid. So Babysitter's Club, Nancy Drew, we've talked about some of those on the podcast. And I like to have all of them. I loved that feeling of familiarity. 
a lot of times I would reread those. Those are real comfort reads for me. I'm watching my son do that now again, rereading another series that he loves. So I think there's something in that familiarity that's very comforting. And also you have to know what's going to happen to those characters next. So Cassandra Clare's definitely one, Lee Bardugo, Sarah J. Moss, all these great fantasy series I think are so much fun. Then there are people like Penny Reed or Alyssa Cole who are quite prolific. Penny Reed and Alyssa Cole both do have series, but like Penny Reed's are all these interconnected books. They're romance novels and you start to know the different characters who are recurring. And so it feels like there's a family at the center of several of them. So it feels like you have to know what happens to the other brother also. (laughs) (laughs) And Alyssa Cole has the same thing that, yeah, there's just a great sense of satisfaction from that. So Alyssa Cole also is someone who genre hops, even within romance, although now she started putting out sort of suspense and thriller novels as well. But she genre hops. I have some authors who I really love because I want to see what they're going to do next. So Alyssa Cole is one. Sherry Thomas does this. She writes historical fiction and romance and fantasy. Brandy Colbert does this. She's a young adult author who publishes, usually it's contemporary realistic, but they are all on very different topics, very different tones. Some are quite serious and others aren't. Colson Whitehead is another one who I just cannot wait to see what genre he picks next. So I think sometimes it's that anticipation of, how, how is this person going to wow me this next time with this next book? <laughs> then there's someone, and this is just my list. I have more. I, I made myself stop. But <laughs> Ashley mentioned the authors who don't publish as much. So Khaled Hosseini, I am desperate for him to publish another book. So much so that a few years ago when he published his picture book, I pre-ordered it before I even knew it was a picture book. And it is beautiful and wonderful, but I thought it was going to be a novel. And I was so sad (laughs) when I discovered that it was not his fourth full-length novel, that it was instead this really beautiful picture book that's gorgeous and has an important message, but it is not a novel. (laughs) So I am ready for him to publish another novel. So yeah, I think that there are... The All of these different authors fill different parts of my reading life and different reasons that I read. Some of them are literary fiction, and I want that next challenge. Some are just plot-driven, compelling books that I can escape into and forget about my stress a little bit. So yeah, I, I think, like I said, I, I'm trying to put myself on a budget. So I may have to switch some of these to being auto-read authors instead of auto-buy authors, but it is nice to have some of these books just on my shelf, ready for me to dive in whenever I'm ready. I do think there's something to be said for having books on hand. And I absolutely agree that, I mean, we found that with students and for sure for myself as well, that having books ready to go when you finish your current reads is such an important part of your reading life. And I would probably buy more books if my friend Jen were not so generous (laughs) with sharing, honestly, with sharing the ones that she has and knows I will love. But I think making sure that you do have great access to books that you are excited to read and a variety of them so that you can you know pick what works with your mood I do think is really important and I don't get that same satisfaction from the ebooks for sure uh-huh. so I think there is that element of having the physical books on hand for at least some of your reading life so that they are ready for you and and you're excited about them because all of that helps a lot with momentum 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Two other things I was thinking about is one, I, when you were talking, Jen, about your autobi authors and like the different things that they bring to the table to make you want to be an autobi. I, for me, I'm, I find it is probably because I'm a slow reader, but the, my autobi authors are authors that I can get their book and that grabs me at the beginning and I just can fly through it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I read literary fiction and I love literary fiction. I've read literary fiction books that I love, but I'm not Mm -hmm. compelled to buy those because they're hard work for me. And it takes me a long time to get through them. So a lot of times it's something that it's not a guilty pleasure because they're great books, but it's something that I can get my hands on and fly through and then, you know, tell someone about it. And then the other thing about having the books is I find, especially the authors that I love, my mom and my sister, they often, we have very similar tastes and I want to be able to say, oh my gosh, I read this and pass it on. Yeah. Because a lot of times if I read something awesome on audio and I'm telling my sister about it, she wants to borrow it. And then I say, I don't have it. (laughs) It was a library book or it was audio. So I like having physical books for that that purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, we would love to know who your autobi authors are. And I will say maybe we can do an in the moment modification and just say for the challenge, auto read authors are fine. So you do not have to own the book for its account. If it's something you've gotten from the library or you get an e-galley from your favorite author, that absolutely counts. So because if you can get on the wait list at your library for a hot author that is has a hot book coming out and you can get it first, I mean, that takes dedication. So that is, <laughs> that's right. you got to plan months in advance. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. well, there's a book that I want to read and I, I thought I will get, try to get it from the library or to listen to an audio. It says 48 weeks. Oh and I was, I was like, oh, maybe I will have to purchase that book because I don't want to wait that long. That is impressive. I have never seen a hold quite that long. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah, we really would love to know who your autobi authors are. So let us know on social media or you can send us an email at unabridgedpod at gmail.com. And we would love to hear who your autobi authors are. Maybe I'll pick up somebody else's book I have to buy too. (laughs) We are going to end our episode today with our Give Me One segment. And today's Give Me One is website or newsletter to check out. Uh, Ashley, what would you recommend? So I realized when we came up with this topic that I do not do a lot of newsletters. And I mean, I use websites, but I realized I don't I don't frequent one particularly very routinely. So maybe I can work on that and report back. But in the ne- meantime, something that I use a lot that we wanted to share with you all, we, t- we all talk about it a lot, is NetGalley. And if you have not checked out NetGalley, they have such a great program and give great access to eGalleys in exchange for honest reviews. And so we, if you go to our website, we have them linked as one of our partners. It's just unabridgedpod.com slash partners. And if you scroll down a bit, Libro FM's ALC program is there, how to sign up, and also NetGalleys and Edelweiss. All three of those have ways that you can access books that are coming out. And if you will promote and review them, then you get access to these great books. So NetGalley has been a great one and is something that I frequent. I have, I've shared on here before that sometimes I pile up and then I have to 
work my way through and recover from over committing and then they pile up again. So I definitely have kind of an ebb and flow with NetGalley, but I love it. And that's how I'm reading Nicola Yoon's book right now. And I read some great ones in March and earlier this year, and I'm going to be reading some more for summer. So I absolutely love their site. I also keep up with their emails and see the things that are coming out. And that is also how sometimes I overcommit, but they do a great job of sending customized emails that are tailored to the the preferences that you have as a reader. And then that way you're more alerted to what's available. So yeah, I absolutely love NetGalley. Yeah. And that is a great way, again, to support authors who have books coming out. So we can add that to Ashley's list from earlier. And you can request ones. We've gone on before for books that we know are coming out and are really desiring to read and you can request them. And of course, that doesn't mean that you're going to get them. But again, all of that helps to you know, people keep track of what's generating buzz, what things people are asking for in advance and that kind of thing. Sarah, how about you? What would you recommend? Well, I've talked about loving the podcast, which is a podcast about pop culture and their CEO. Well, I think she's now creative director. She, her name is Erin Moon and she also is the Bible scholar for their podcast, The Bible Binge. But she started you know, she does a lot of Instagram stories. So before she had 10,000 followers, she would do all these Instagram stories and people and talk about products and different things. And people would DM her and say, Hey, where'd you get that? Or where'd you see that story? So she started a newsletter called the swipe up, which she now has over 30,000 followers, but, but she started the newsletter called the swipe up because she didn't have the swipe up to give people the information. So she wanted to curate the information. So she started a newsletter and she, I love her. I think she's super smart. She's really funny. And I think she just seems like a very approachable person. And her newsletter reads that way. She does a question box during the week and people can ask her questions and then she will include them on the swipe up. And if they don't make it in the swipe up, sometimes she does something called dirty hair Friday where she, gets on her Instagram stories and answers some of the other questions that, and it can be anything from, she loves Zac Efron. So it can be anything from something about Zac, Zac Efron to something about the Bible binge to something about a product she really likes. So it's just, I just think she's an awesome person and I think her content is really good and she's a writer. So it's very smart. So I totally recommend the swipe up by Erin H moon. And she's a great follow on Instagram too. Yeah, I love that newsletter. I love her. Her Twitter highlights from yes. the week are always funny. I always click through to those to watch. Yes. And she's a mom. She has two or three kids. And I mean, she's just she just tells you like it is. And mm -hmm. I really I appreciate that as a mom and fellow struggler. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate that. So she's awesome. Yeah, I subscribed so that I could get access to her Hamilton spreadsheet where she had the links to all the Hamilton things. And I have stayed subscribed because I really like the newsletter. So yes. how about you, Jen? So mine is the pop culture happy hour newsletter. I listen to the pop culture happy hour podcast every day. It's daily now during the week. And it is a super short look at pop culture. And it's from NPR. I think they are 
they just have the best, most brilliant discussions about all things pop culture, which I love. The Pop Culture Happy Hour newsletter is written by Linda Holmes, who is my absolute favorite. I, I just have to say, I also follow her on Twitter and her dog, Brian, who is a rescue greyhound. My kids now know who Brian is because she posts pictures of Brian and she sends him to doggy daycare and they send photos of Brian while he's at doggy daycare. And she posts those pictures on Twitter. So I now not only know Brian, her dog, but also the dogs who go to the doggy daycare with Brian. I'm just a little bit obsessed. So, but Linda is just, Linda Holmes is just a great writer. She is also a novelist. She wrote the book, Every Drake Starts Over. She is super smart. I really appreciate her perspectives. And the newsletters just give her another chance to write about something important that is going on. Sometimes she's addressing pop culture. Sometimes she's addressing the news. If she sees something that she feels like is important and she wants to comment on it, she'll have a little part at the beginning where she talks about the news from the week. But it's always just great to see her perspective and to get that additional peek into what Pop Culture Happy Hour is is thinking about each week. So that is a really fun one. We'll put links for all of these in our show notes so that you can find them easily. And I would recommend that you subscribe to any of these and check out NetGalley. So thanks so much for listening and let us know on social media who your autobi authors are. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Underbridge Pod or on the web at underbridgepod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.